Hey there, this is Chris Comrie with the Glance Recruiting Podcast. Um, today's episode is an awesome one. Um, we speak to a man named Will Barfield. He's recently started Barfield Revenue Consulting. Um, and what's really interesting about him is he does a little bit of both sales training and recruiting. Um, and most people tend to either pick one or the other. Um, and he combines his his years of doing B2B sales with his recruiting knowledge um, he recently was at a staffing firm running their B2B sales and has decided to go off on his own and is absolutely knocking it out of the park. He's full of some awesome advice um, and really interesting to draw the parallels between sales and recruiting, and we talk about this in the podcast. So I hope you're excited for this one. I certainly am. And thanks again to Will Barfield for being our guest today. Quick reminder that Glance is holding their very first meetup in mid-November. It'll be in downtown Raleigh, so keep an eye out for that and more details to come. I'm Will Barfield. I am the president and CEO of Barfield Revenue Consulting. It's an independent practice that I launched a little over four months ago. Uh, I've got a background uh, nearly 20 years in business-to-business sales and have been... um, a salesperson myself, as well as a hiring manager for salespeople for nearly two decades. Got involved in the staffing business back in 2004, went to work for Frankel Staffing Partners and focused on new business development for them, hiring and managing their sales team, but also built from scratch and ran inside the agency a software sales recruiting practice, uh, kind of accidentally on purpose. It's just in the mid-2000s, they were Lots of software as a sale, software as a service sales positions opening up locally, and lots of inside sales opportunities. And so I started bringing in those jobs. And when we didn't have the recruiting bandwidth as an agency to fill them, I just kept them and started filling them myself. And basically spent the next 12 years building a practice uh, inside the agency. And just recently uh, parted ways with Frank Ole and have opened up my own shop still doing the sales talent placement piece, but also adding on things like sales training, uh, coaching and consulting, working with companies to help them analyze their sales processes, working with individuals and teams to help with sales training, working with executives on the sales side, or just you know CEOs who are not sales savvy, working with small businesses like that with analyzing their sales processes and uh, ways to go about, you know, fixing those. So really anything tied to revenue generation, which is why I named the company what I did. Uh, I've also begun dabbling in working with staffing agencies as clients, helping them hire sales talent as well as recruiting talent. So the company continues to morph as I go along, but uh, it's been going really well and I'm, I'm having a blast. That's awesome. Um, it, it, it seems like most people tend to pick either they're going to help more on the sales side or more on the recruiting side. And it sounds like you've kind of carved out a, a niche for yourself and that you offer both. Is that correct? Yeah. And again, that was not an intentional plan, but because I've been in sales for so long and then kind of taught myself recruiting inside the agency world, and for, you know, 
the better part of the last two decades, I've been selling to HR and I've been selling to talent acquisition. So I've been calling on recruiters, building relationships with them and selling to them and working closely with partner staffing agencies because there were things that Frankel was was not focused on, one of them being IT. So anytime the client that I had built a relationship with needed IT support, I would, you know, go outside, try and pick up a, you know, a potential referral partner and either work a split or some kind of a sub situation where we could both win. Or if that wasn't feasible, I would just hand the job and the client off to the IT staffing firm and, you know, just kind of earn karma points. And then over time, built a lot of relationships and friendships and trust. And now that I've pivoted out on my own, those folks are coming back to me and saying, Hey, we want to keep doing the splits with you, but we know, you know, sales and we know that you've worked with a bunch of agencies and recruiters in your career, you know, help us fill some of these recruiting positions. And so, you know, part of that's being fed by my network. And then part of that's being fed by my ability to, to, you know, hunt and, uh, uncover and, you know, screen and submit. So yes, it was not the plan, but, you know, recruiting and sales are not that different. I mean, in this, in the sales situation, you're trying to pitch a product or a service, right. To, you know, either a, a business or a individual consumer, most of my clients being B2B, but in the recruiting scenario, whether you're an internal recruiter at a company or an external recruiter in an agency, you're trying to, trying to pitch a product the product just happens to be you know the company that you either are an employee of or that's paying you a fee to find a human being so because those things are so closely tied together in theme um for somebody who's sold for a living like you know pitching a company or a job is not that much different for me than pitching a product or a service so i do a good job finding people who can do that but uh that skill evaluation is carried over nicely from sales to recruiting. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think a lot of the um a lot of the more forward thinking um recruiters definitely draw that parallel between sales and recruiting. Um when when did that kind of start to stick out to you? I think when well in the beginning when I when I was at Frankel and I brought all, started bringing all those sales jobs in and, and the woman who owns the firm, who's a former accountant and is a very black and white, which accountants are, um, said, look, we, you're bringing in too many of these. We don't have an internal sales recruiter to fulfill them. We're going to have to start turning some of these jobs away. And I said, Ooh, that's commission. Um, before we do that, can I try? Like I went to high school around here. I went to college locally. I know a lot of people. I do a lot of networking. Can I have the password to monsters and career builders so I can search resumes and post some ads? Like, can I just see if I can do it? And so part of it was kind of that self-taught aspect of, well, you know, this is a no-lose scenario. I mean, we're certainly going to tell the agency, look, we're not a sales recruiting firm. I'm not a sales recruiter. But I know a lot about sales, and I know a lot of salespeople, so let's see if this will work. And then, you know, found success, found some more, picked up some referrals, and then it kind of, you know, grew from there. But, you know, the other piece of it was working so closely with these talent acquisition and recruiter personalities when I was selling into HR, it was very clear to see that a lot of your traditional HR professionals did not like recruiting. They enjoyed the back office piece. They enjoyed the benefits and the payroll and the administration. And they 
enjoyed the you know employee relations and uh, some of those aspects, but when it came to having to talk to lots of people all day long and, and pitch the company over and over again and uh, feel like they were selling, in essence, it was uncomfortable for them. And for someone who has, you know, been a salesperson for his whole career, but it's also, you know, had a million salesperson phone screens, you know, it was very easy for me on the phone to tell if somebody had the DNA to, to sell or not. It, Sales is typically something, in my opinion, that is born, not bred. So if you're a salesperson, you kind of know it, and it's part of the personality that fits. And if it's not natural for you, then you shouldn't do it. And so with figuring out whether or not somebody will be a good recruiter, a lot of them have got you know sales personalities and sales tendencies. They may not want to be compensated in a way that, half or more of their income is tied to production, which is going to be the case with a lot of your new business sales reps. But to for some of those who like features of sales without all the pressure to be a recruiter and to, you know, have a certain number of positions you got to fill and to enjoy the excitement of talking to new people and, you know, getting a certain number of requisitions satisfied in a given month or quarter. You know, that, there's a lot of selling as a part of that. So it was really about analyzing the difference in, um, you know, your HR people and your talent acquisition people, and that rarely the two met. They were very infrequent that you would find an HR person that was also really enjoyed recruiting and was good at it, which is why staffing agencies and recruiters have jobs, right, because um, there's a lot of HR that would rather just, you know, source that out or, you know, if there are companies where there is no HR person and your executives are left to recruit, then they don't have the bandwidth to do it. But um, I think I wandered around a bit there, but eventually answered your question. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that was good. Um, <clears throat> you talked about one of the you talked about selling, um, and and we kind of keep coming back to that. What are some good ways for some some younger recruiters that are just getting in? Um, to to start to sell. Um, there's a lot of right ways to do it and a lot of not-so-right ways to do it. Um, what, what's your take on that? You mean early career recruiters to sell, you know, whatever Seller it is service. that they're – Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. So not like being an internal recruiter at a company and pitching the company, but more about, you know, how do I as a recruiter, you know, pick up more business and, and, you know, build out a, you know, a, a um, suite of clients. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, it sounds like you've done that multiple times and are now having to do it once again and, and are doing very well at it. So how, how can, how can younger people do that well? So that's an interesting question. Um, so you've got, you got a couple different models. Number one, if you're an internal talent acquisition person in recruiting at company X, right? Let's say it's Cisco or whatever. You, know, you your job's going to be to sit in that silo and recruit for whatever positions are on your, you know, in your pipeline or on your tracking metrics and so that's kind of what you'll own and that's it and there's not a lot of selling of you uh other than, you know, up to your boss to make sure you keep your job when you're on the agency side, um, you know, there there are a couple different models. One is, and where I came from at Frankel, sales sold and recruiters recruited. 
So our recruiters internal at the agency at Frankel had zero production responsibility when it came to client acquisition. Sales brought in the jobs, handed over the recs, and then recruiters hunted human beings trying to fill those jobs. I was the only person on staff that did both. I was the only full desk guy at Frankel who found jobs and then filled them, and that was only in sales. You do have other agencies that run a full desk model where your recruiter also has to sell, so they have to find the companies, find the jobs, and then turn around and fill them. And um, so in that in, in that situation, you do have to start out as a salesperson and figure out how how to market you and your agency really well to get a hiring manager to listen and then to agree to let you fill that job and then turn around and, you know, you source the talent for it and staff it yourself. And then once you're good at both of those things, and oftentimes in those agency settings, they will lift you up in either an account executive role where you're just doing production and then they put a recruiter under you who just fills your stuff because you're, you know, getting better at the sales aspect or you advance in the recruiting pipeline and you're just focused on recruiting at a higher level and then they're going to hire somebody else below you who's going to start, you know, on the this, the full desk thing again to get more sales in the door. Um, but really the thing about selling yourself as a recruiter, what I have found is, you know, if you're calling on a company, the difference with whether or not they're going to, uh, you know, give you a shot is – to help them understand what your pipeline is like. So if you're a recruiter and you're saying, hey, you know what, I'd, I'd love to work on your open position, and client, the hiring manager says, okay, great. Well, I've had this job I've been working on for four weeks, and it's pretty hard, and I need a, you know, I need a DevOps guy. What's your DevOps pipeline look like? And if you say, you know what, like I, I don't have one, but I can start from scratch and fill this for you. That's one of the reasons that Frankel never did IT recruiting because you can't just start from scratch with that and say, I am the recruiter to fill your needs and you have no pipe. So if you're getting started on your own, you you need to be bolted on with an agency that has a recruiting team that, that can support the recs in the beginning so that you can bring in the jobs and recruit, but also pull in other resources to help make sure you get the rec filled. So you need to make you need to have the opportunity to do some sourcing, to try it, to do some screens, and try and get some candidates in play. But if you're relying solely on your ability to fulfill those jobs and you can't fill them, then you might not get another ask from that client, and that client may tell somebody else that you shouldn't get an ask from them. So it's really the ability to sell yourself as a recruiter is to sell pipe. And you're either selling your own pipe or you're selling the pipe of others who you have access to. And and uh, I'm the reason I was able to pivot and go off on my own as a sales recruiter was that in the beginning, my success was I knew a lot of local salespeople and I could dip into my network. Um, but then I, I augmented that by doing a lot of search effort, going on the job boards, connecting with people on LinkedIn and trying to build a backlog of connections. And then as I did more and more searches over time, 
and started getting success and getting more and more referrals, I was getting referrals both ways. I was certainly getting clients that were telling other clients, hey, this guy's got access to sales candidates. But the sales candidates were telling other sales candidates, hey, this guy's got good jobs. So, um, the, you know, it's a chicken or the egg thing in the recruiting world, but once you can kind of get you know, it going on both sides, you will draw talent to you because the talent here is from other talent that you're the you're the, a good resource for opportunities. So, um, and now I'm able to support most of my recruiting efforts just with pipe. <coughs> Excuse me, and not have to rely on pure hunting. Um, so, you know that that's really the recruiting piece, particularly as hungry as folks are for talent around here. You know, is about your ability to your ability to say, I can fulfill that. And here's how I'll do it. Whether it's your pipe or some kind of supplemental situation with your own internal team or with external partners who you're subbing stuff out to. Um, to but getting started is going to be about where else can you get the talent because you're not just going to, you know, I didn't just open the doors and you know then magically have people. You got to build it over time. Yeah. Yeah, that, it sounds like quite a feat, and I think a lot of people um, are are certainly striving to get to that point where um, referrals drive their business, and and kind of you get a snowball effect there where it keeps growing and growing, and growing larger. Um, so that's that's pretty incredible where you're at, and and I think a lot of people are striving to that. Um, let's let's switch gears here a little bit, um, and what what data do you think is important to to track? In in a in a recruiting department, um, whether that's on the corporate side or in the agency side, what kind of metrics and, and indicators do you think are important? Well, some of the things that I'm seeing tracked, you know, most frequently are, you know, days to fill, right? How long is the rec open, and how quickly is it getting resolved? And you know, number of candidates. To interviews, so how many candidates applying are actually getting an interview? And then, you know, the number of candidates to number of interviews to number of hires translation, and what are our stats? And when you start to see that there's, you know, alarming variance in one direction or another, then you've got to try to figure out what it is that's, that's causing that. Are you getting a ton of applicants with not a lot of interviews? You know, and is that because you're, you're, Hiring manager is too picky. Is that because the way that your ad is written or the way that you're sourcing people is casting too wide of a net and you're bringing in a lot of stuff that you can't use? So those are things I'm seeing more often than not. And then, you know, folks are going to build a hiring plan. They're going to have a certain number of requisitions that they won't fill in a certain amount of time. Um, and so, you know, ultimately it's about, hey, you know, we've got, 16 recs we need to fill this quarter and you know we will have done our job if we fill all 16 or at least get the offers out and accepted even if the start date might bleed over a little bit in the next quarter so those are things i'm seeing uh, and, and those are uh things i'm being held to from a you know performance standpoint are you know how long did it take to fill it um how many candidates did it take to get to the certain number of interviews to get to offers? And, you know, once an offer is out, you're not done, right? So are all of our offers being accepted? And if they're not, what's wrong? Is it a situation where 
candidate got a counter offer to stay at current employer? Well, did you ask the question, Mr. Recruiter, about what's Chris going to do if Chris gets a counter? Is he really looking to leave or is he just going to college football coaches and try and get more money where he is? What are his intentions? Or if we're getting a lot of offer declinations, is it because we're not communicating appropriately at the front of the process about the compensation so that we're getting them all hot and bothered about a job. And then when they get to the altar and lift the veil, it's like, uh, what do you mean? This is not the woman I was told I was going to marry. Like, this is, what do you mean? It's 45. I thought, you know, I was hoping this is more like 60 K and they're like, well, that's something that you should, in my opinion, that's something you should cover at the, at the beginning. It's like, Hey Chris, how are you? Nice to meet you. How much money do you need to make? So that, I mean, obviously it's not that dry, but so we make sure that the, the, that piece lines up because talent that's working and quietly looking is not going to move for less money. They may move for like money if there's other compelling factors going on, but they certainly will be attracted to move for more money if the fit is right. So you got to ask those questions and make sure you're getting at that. Um, so if we've got offers, you know, accepted and then people aren't starting, that's another conversion metric we've got to look at, too. And what's happening there? Are they accepting the offer and then keeping the rest of the interview process going and, you know, something else more attractive comes through? Are they, you know, pulling out? Are they failing the background checks um, or or the education verification? And is that a situation where the recruiter is not asking t- tough enough questions about, you know, where did you go to school and when did you graduate? And, you know, if we checked in an education verification, will that back it up? Do you have your references? You know, do you have enough references? And, you know, is is there anything in your background that would preclude you from this job? Our clients are in the financial services sector, and so they're very particular about the people that we hire, and our background check process is very stringent. Here's a look at our application. Here's the boxes that you check when you're filling that out. And, you know, is there anything around here that you see as alarming that we need to address up front? So, um, but ultimately it's about, did you, did you fill the job? How long did it take? How many people did it take? And if the process is breaking down, either not enough candidates, too many candidates to manage, not enough interviews, too many interviews and wasted time, um, not enough candidates to offer phase, too many candidates declining to offer, or you know, not enough folks actually getting through the process and getting in the seat and looking at all those stats and trying to figure out you know, where your breakdowns are in the process so that you can um, make some fixes because it's really competitive out there and you've got to be swift and nimble and efficient or you know, the, uh, the wolf at the door is, is going to get your candidate. Yeah, that's definitely good stuff to keep in mind. Um, I, I can see it if you're more of a junior recruiter kind of keeping off some of those harder conversations to the end, but it sounds like your advice is just to have them up front um, so you don't waste anyone's time, which I fully think no, is a I mean, good I, idea. I'm going, to ask about, I'm going to ask about the money. I'm going to ask you about benefits. Hey, Chris, listen, are you the benefits breadwinner for the household? Yes or no? Yes. Good. Here's my client situation. Their benefits program is X. How does that compare to what you have? What's your current out-of-pocket expense for health care? Well, with these guys, it's going to be Y. Does that work? No, it doesn't. 
Well, thankfully, the salary is this, so that may help offset that. Or as a company car, or as unlimited vacation, or you get to wear a T-shirt and flip-flops every day. But compensation and benefits are going to be two of the most important, if not the most important factors when you're talking to a passive candidate who is not in desperation mode. If I'm working and I don't have to upset the Apple cart at home unless it's something really spectacular, well, let's talk about the, you know, the two or three key components that are going to make something spectacular. And oftentimes it's going to come down to comp and benefits. And is that better than what I've got, one or the other or both, to make it exciting and inviting enough for me to look at that opportunity? And if not, let's, let's not waste each other's time and waste the hiring manager's time and the executive's time and get, you know, half a day worth of interview schedule and everybody hot and bothered uh, about somebody who's ultimately going to decline the offer because it's $10,000 less than what they're making now. And who, why didn't we ask that up front? Yeah, yeah, that, that's definitely really good tangible advice that I think um, is definitely good to keep in mind. And, and really just, it, it sounds like it goes back to just really understanding kind of what you're doing and, and what the what the goal at hand is. Um, yes. So I've got, I've got one last question for you. Um, what, what kind of, um, what kind of things do you wish you would have known when you were first starting out or, or something that people can, can take away and implement today? Uh, I wish that, um, I had listened to my, uh, advisors more closely. So what is, what, what, What's a good takeaway there? Number one, make sure that you have um, lots of different folks in your um, circle who will tell you the truth, whether you like it or not, tell you what they think and give you some good advice, and that they come from varying backgrounds and that you know they they can provide advice and perspective. And, you know, when you ask lots of different people who you respect and admire similar questions and there's thematic alignment amongst different people asked different times in different settings the same questions, you need to pay attention to that. And in most instances with what I was doing, ultimately I did. Um, the, the only place where I, um, you know, what was was a little ill prepared was scalability you know i had a lot of my when you're getting starting a new business particularly when you're going from being an employee to being independent uh and when you're going from a salary situation where you've got a net to no net um your your main concern is revenue like is there going to be enough revenue i've got a wife i've got three daughters my wife does not work is there going to be enough revenue to support the family I'm getting ready to leave some benefits behind. I'm going to have to go to the market and pay for health insurance. You know, am I am I going to have enough money coming in to cover all those expenses and make up the gap? And what my advisor said was, look, you're not going to have a revenue problem because people are going to come to you, not only folks that you already know, but people you don't know yet because your network's going to respond because you put in good work for a long time. And you've done the right thing. You're going to have scale issues faster than you imagined. 
and make sure that you are prepared to start making some difficult decisions about ramp and scale and how you're going to fulfill demand so that you don't start under-delivering because you've got a reputation for delivering a really good product and service and you don't want that to start to slip because you're overcommitted and understaffed. So I'm what I'm starting to run into at four plus months in is, you know, what does scale look like? How big do I want to be? Not necessarily in terms of size of company, but in terms of, you know, revenue and is, you know, am I appropriately, am I managing my time efficiently enough? Am I, am I utilizing myself the best way to bring money in the door and fulfill needs? But, you know, am I also to a point where I need to consider bringing in a little bit of help? What does that look like? Uh, and I wasn't expecting to have that issue this early, but everybody else was telling me I would, and I, and I, I didn't hear them. So, my advice is not necessarily, you know, be prepared to scale out of the gate. I was very fortunate in that I didn't have an idea to start a business and then see if there was a market for it. I had the market tell me that there was an opportunity for me to go off on my own, and, and finally I listened. So I had product market fit before I even opened the door, and that is a great blessing. But I would say that my advice would be just have mentors and interview them, take them out to lunch, take them out to dinner, take them out to coffee, take them out for a beer, get perspective from several people, you know, take some notes, mull it, look at it, see what the similarities are. And if the news is not good and your network is telling you, hey, like what you're trying to do, now's not the right time or that's not the right model, listen to them and, you know, wait for a better opportunity to, to, you know, to strike because uh, folks who are living in it every day uh, and who aren't in love with your idea but just love you are going to give you great advice. And it's a lot harder to see the forest for the trees when you're, you're so deeply immersed in affection for the thing that you want to do that, you know, you, you don't want to hear anything negative. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Certainly makes sense. Probably not the easiest to comprehend to, uh, to or more to digest, I guess. Um, I think people probably don't want to hear that, but need to hear that. So that's that's certainly very good advice. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I the guy I had coffee with before I took this call. He's a he's a good friend, and uh, he just landed a new opportunity. And we were talking about his you know situation and. Anyway, part of it that came up was, you know, kind of the sales mentality. And, you know, I, I hear a lot more no's every day than I hear yeses, not only as a salesman for 20 years, but also, you know, as a recruiter. No, I'm not interested in that job. No, we're not moving forward with that candidate. Uh, no, I don't want to pay a fee. I hear no a lot more than I hear yes. And you think about, you know, baseball players, right, guys that make the all-star team. 70% of the time, you know, they don't make contact with the ball or they don't make it to first base, right? They're batting 300 and they're an all-star. You think about how many times Michael Jordan, you know, made game-winning shots. He missed a lot more than he made, right? So by percentage, whether you're in sales or recruiting or, you know, high-level athletics, you've got to be prepared to lose a lot more than you win. So I was prepared to take bad news when it came to talking to my mentors about, my 
goals to go off on my own and start this business and the different ways I was thinking about launching it. And I didn't take it personally when they said, hey, they, dude, that's, that's not a good idea, you know, what you're thinking there. Or going to the market with that model is not going to fly. So and I, I was already conditioned as a guy who hears no most of the time to not take that no personally. But if you don't come into the, the situation of evaluation from a perspective of hearing no a lot, then you can take it personally. And it's like, no, I love my idea. And I think it's a good one. And you guys are crazy. I can do this. And so um, thankfully, I have had um, you know pride beaten out of me by years of sales. And so that was it was easy to be humble. <laughs> yeah, I think that happens sometimes. Most of the time, really. If I guess if you're doing it right, that happens. Um, well, thanks a lot. Well, I, I really appreciate it. Um, where where can people reach out to you and um, and continue kind of conversation and say hello? So uh, multiple avenues. They can go to barfieldrevenue.com. B a r f i e l d barfieldrevenue.com. They can look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, Will Barfield, uh, you know, Barfield Revenue. We've got a LinkedIn company page. We've got a Facebook company page. And there's a phone number on the website where uh, you can, you know, contact the company, and that rings through to my cell phone. And if we connect on LinkedIn, then you'll get access to my cell phone uh, and my email address. And um, folks are always welcome to email me, Will with two L's at barfieldrevenue.com as well if they have any questions. And um, outside of that, it's pretty easy to find. So I'm always around and, and you know, welcome. I think the way I've got my LinkedIn set up is you can email me even if we're not connected. So if they just want to shoot me a note and kind of say, hey, you know, I'd like to meet you. Here's what I'm thinking. Uh, it's pretty easy to access me. And um it's all about the network and the connections, and I don't know when I'm going to need that person, but I try to keep an open mind and talk to as many folks as I can because it's not just about whether or not Chris is right for the job I've got today. It's about, you know, do I leave Chris with a good impression of me and a good taste in his mouth so that he will tell somebody else positive things? And it might be somebody that Chris knows that is the perfect person for the job I'm going to get two months from now. And if I was dismissive or otherwise not open to the idea of connecting with Chris, then I would miss that other human being. And you just you gotta you gotta think several steps ahead in the network uh, and not be closed-minded. Be willing to invest some time in people because they will pay you back. I mean, if you give, you'll get tenfold back. You just have to be willing to give. <laughs> 